At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we've turned the page to a new year, many are wondering what will come next and how to navigate it when it does. We invite you to tune into our series, What Now? How Tomorrow Shapes Today, as we explore the words of Jesus in Matthew 24 and 25. Together, we'll learn to look toward the future because what we believe about tomorrow defines the way we'll spend today. Let's discover God's answer to the question on everyone's mind. What now? Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. That's the first gospel. It's a little uh, past midway through your Bible. Matthew chapter 25. Today we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 13. And we're going to be continuing our series called What Now? And what we've been looking at in this series is asking the question of how does the coming of Christ, how does what is going to happen tomorrow shape our today? How do our lives change based upon the return of Christ that is guaranteed to come? What we've been looking at in Matthew 24 and 25 is something called the Olivet Discourse. Simply, it is a teaching from Jesus, and he did it from the Mount of Olives, and he's talking to his disciples. And what he's doing within this teaching is he's setting up for his disciples that there's going to be a destruction of the temple of Jerusalem where suffering is going to come, but also to remind them of the suffering that will come before the return of Christ, but also that the return of Christ is coming and it will be a glorious day. Last week, we looked at a couple different parables as Jesus was encouraging us as the people of God to be prepared and to be faithful. And the question I asked all of you last week was, are you ready? Are you ready for the return of Christ? Now, when we think about this idea, this question of are you ready, it can be asked in two different ways because it has a different answer for each of the two audiences. The first audience that we ask the question, are you ready to, are those who have never surrendered their life to Jesus Christ? Are you ready for his return? We saw last week that those who have not surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, those who are the wicked servant in the parable, they are those who prove to be a hypocrite and they are not truly in Christ. And it said in the scripture last week that the master would come, cut them into pieces and throw them into eternal torment. So the question is, are you ready? But also there's another way to ask this question, are you ready for those who are in Christ? Because it's looking around at your brothers and sisters anticipating an event. It's looking around at those who are in Christ and saying, are you ready? It's the excitement of the return of Christ. So today's message can hit you in one of two different ways. First, if you are not in Christ, ask yourself the question, are you ready? If you are in Christ, I would pray it would encourage you to continue faithfully in the Lord and preparing yourself for him. Because as we look at the text today, we're going to see a story that speaks to both of those audience. So let's go ahead and read that text, Matthew 25, 1 through 13. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here comes the bridegroom! Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil for our lamps, because they're going out. 
But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us to give to you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and shut the door. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. You know, as I read this text and as I prepared for the text this week, I, I'd read this text before, you know, when you do your uh, yearly read through the Bible. And I remember every single time I read this text that I looked at it and I said, I have absolutely no idea what is going on in this passage. Can any of you identify with that when you've read this before? It's okay to admit that. But it was amazing as I studied through this text and I looked at the parable of the ten virgins what an incredible message of warning and encouragement that this passage can be for those two different audience. Warning for those who are not in Christ and for those who are in Christ to ask the question of are you being faithful? Are you anticipating his return? And what we've been looking at and Jesus has been saying to his disciples time and time again is to stay awake and be ready. And Matthew really presents Jesus as this, as this teacher. He is the teacher. There's five different discourses and teachings within the book of Matthew, and this is the last one. This is the one that he wants to leave his disciples with as he prepares to be crucified, and he prepares to resurrect from the grave and go and ascend into heaven. And he says, will you be ready? Are you ready? Be faithful. And what we're going to see in the text today is that true disciples, those followers of Jesus Christ make provisions to go the distance. True disciples, those who are truly in Christ, make provisions in their lives to go the distance in their faith. Now, as we look at this text, we have to look at the first verse, and it says, then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins. Well, we see the kingdom of heaven will be like. Now, earlier in the book of Matthew, uh, we've seen Jesus say multiple times that the kingdom of heaven is like. Talking about the kingdom of heaven on earth, the kingdom outposts of the people of God, the idea of those who are here in Christ before the return of Christ and what the kingdom of heaven is like. He said the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. Also, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. Now today he's going to be talking about what the kingdom of heaven will be like when he returns. We realize currently because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the spirit of God residing in us what it can look like to an extent to be with the people of God as kingdom outposts the church. But we wait for the return of Christ where he will make all things new. Amen. We wait for the return of Christ where he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And today he's going to talk about what it's going to be like when he returns. The kingdom of heaven will be like. Now we're going to see a parable that he tells, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So what I'm going to do is actually go through this story, talk to you a little bit about the story. Then we'll pull out some implications from this text and how we apply it to our lives. 
text begins, Matthew 25, 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five of them were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. Jesus is continuing to tell his disciples to be watchful. And he introduces us to ten virgins. Now this word virgin actually refers to a woman who is of marriable age within this context, within this text. And so all of these, uh, these women, they are getting ready to meet the bridegroom. Now there was a custom in that day that, uh, that the bridegroom would actually leave his parents home with a group of friends to go to the home of the bride where the marriage ceremony was actually carried out. And then there was this huge party that went through to go back and get all the people to go back to the groom's house for this great celebration. And this is what we're seeing here within this text. This is something that happened all the time. It's talking about this wedding that's going to occur and these gals who are waiting for the bridegroom to come, that they may come and be part of the celebration and the joyous party that's going to occur in the groom's house. Now we see something about each one of these uh, different virgins. We see that they all have lamps. Now, I think when we think of the word lamp, we think of the one that is on the nightstand that we turn on or the office lamp that we use in our office. But these lamps were actually uh, dome-shaped vessels that had rags in them that would be soaked with oil uh, and you'd set them on fire and you'd carry them in order to guide your way at nighttime. And so these, these virgins, they grab their lamps, all of them, and they take them with them. So up until this point in the story, we really see no difference between these virgins at all. They, uh, they, are all. they are all women of marrying age. They are all anticipating the coming of the bridegroom. They all grab their lamps, and they're all trying to go and wait to go to this feast, to this party. Yet we see something revealed in the text. We see five of them are called foolish and five of them are called wise. And it's all based upon how they prepared themselves. You see, the five foolish women did not bring oil with them, while the five wise did bring extra oil with them. That's what the text says. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. Now, as they're waiting for this, as they're waiting in anticipation for the bridegroom, we see something that happens. We see a twist in the story, and every good story has some sort of turn or twist. Well, the bridegroom, he is delayed. For some reason, uh, something happens, and, and he is no longer on time. And so they're out there waiting, and what ends up happening is when, when we are waiting in anticipation for something, well, the, the night starts to wear on them, and they fall asleep. And there's no condemnation for them falling asleep, but when they wake up, we see what the problem is. You see, what happens is that those who had brought no oil, they realize their lamps are about ready to go out. They had not prepared themselves. Look at 25.7. Then all those who were virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, since therefore will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. They come to them and they say, listen, we don't have oil. Give us some of yours. 
Well, the wise women, they did not have enough oil to give to the foolish and themselves as well. And so they say, now go into the market and buy yourself some oil. Now you have to realize this is very late at night. The bridegroom ends up coming at midnight. And so they go out in the, in the late watches of the night to go buy some oil. Now you can imagine there's probably not many markets open at this time. It's going to be very difficult for them to get oil. But when they are going away, something terrible happens. The bridegroom comes. It says in verse uh, 10, And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Now you have to imagine both of these different parties. First, imagine yourselves in the stead of the one who brought the lamp. I mean, you brought your lamp. I mean, you could take it in a modern day context. You brought your flashlight, but you forgot to bring an extra set of batteries with you. You had your flashlight and then you realize your, your lights flicker and it's about to go out. So what are you gonna do? Well, you hope you can run to Ace Hardware and buy some batteries before, uh, before the bridegroom comes. And, and so you run out and you, you try and go do that. And then you can imagine yourself as those who are prepared. They're ready. They're waiting in anticipation. This is an event that they've been waiting for, and they were not going to let anything ruin this day. They bring the oil with them, and then they hear it. At midnight, they hear the call, here comes the bridegroom. Now imagine that. It's time for the celebration. It's time for the party. It's time to gather. The bridegroom is coming. And he does come and he takes with him those who are there, who are prepared, who are ready, who are waiting. And he goes into the feast. Now for those who go into the feast, this is a beautiful thing. You are with the bridegroom and you are celebrating with him. Your preparation has paid off. But then we see a very tragic turn to this story. It says... And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Verse 11. And afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. Now we hope at this moment that they're maybe just a little fashionably late to the party, and that they can come in, and that they can celebrate. But that's not what happens. Listen to the response of the bridegroom. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Now it's really interesting here in this parable because in verse 11, Jesus starts to take this story from a parable back into reality. We see this in a couple of different ways as we look at the text. First, we see instead of these virgins coming, knocking on the door and saying, groom, groom, let us in, they say what? They say, Lord, Lord. Now we know that only Jesus Christ is Lord and we know that, uh, that Jesus has said in Matthew 7 verse 21, one of the most sobering passages in all the Bible, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Also, they say the phrase, open to us. Jesus has previously said in Matthew 7, 7, knock and it will be opened to you. 
Then in verse 12, it says, but he answered. They just called him Lord, and he answers. And the response is heartbreaking. I never knew you. He says, truly, I never knew you. And then the lesson comes, right? This is a this is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. The story is told, and then the lesson occurs. And we find it in verse 13. And he's talking to his disciples, and he says this, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Previously, Jesus has said that no one knows the day or the hour, not the angels in heaven or even the Son himself, but only the Father. He set this up by telling us that he was going to come at a time we didn't expect when we're just living out our lives. That was what he talked about in the parables from last week. And today... He says, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Now you have to remember, this was a teaching that was taught all together. And so you see this reiteration of the point. Watch, be ready. You don't know when I'm coming. Watch, be ready. You don't know when I'm coming. Prepare yourselves, be faithful, be watchful. Wait for me, for I will come at a day or an hour you do not expect. And those who are faithful and those who are waiting and those who are prepared, they will come with me into my feast. This is the teaching of Jesus that true disciples will make provisions to go the distance. Now, we've seen this story, and we'll, we'll pull out a couple of different implications for both of those two audiences. The first implication that we're going to see is that superficial discipleship will prove insufficient. Simply put, playing Christian on the outside and not knowing Christ in a relationship with him and surrender to him is going to prove to fail you. You have to look at this. This is very sobering to look at this text because as we look at the characters as they're introduced in this story, there is nothing different between these two groups of women besides them bringing oil for their lamp or not. Look at this. They've all been invited. They've all seemingly accepted the invitation. They all want to go see the bridegroom and listen to this. They all call the bridegroom Lord. That's very sobering. Really what we're seeing here is the idea of hypocrites versus those who are truly real and in Christ. But when we think about this word hypocrite in our society today, I think it brings us to mind those who are shysters, who do horrific things, who are, who, who are those who are trying to manipulate people and, and those different pieces. Yet if we look at this text and we look at this idea of hypocrite, what it means is to play a part in a play as an actor. That's what it means. And these people play that part so well, they not only convince those around them that they are in Christ, that they are with the bridegroom, but they convince themselves as well. That's how well they play this part. 
And it's fascinating to look and sobering to look that all of these have a desire to go see the bridegroom. They make preparation at some manner in taking their lamp with them to go and meet the bridegroom. Yet what they're finding their faith in and what they're trusting in proves to be insufficient because they're focusing on the wrong thing. You see, the oil is what caused them to endure. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. The differences between those two things is that we see those who do the will of the Father are those who are driven by the Spirit of God. We see those who do the will of the Father are those who look to please the Father and be in relationship with the Father. And the foolish women in the story are meant to illustrate the hypocrite. You know, honestly, it worries me as a pastor that there's many people in America today that claim Christianity, that claim the name of Christ, but look nothing like Jesus at all. It breaks my heart. It's one of the reasons that God called me into ministry was because there's a realization that there are people sitting in church pews and chairs every single Sunday who think they know Jesus and they've never surrendered their lives to him. It's estimated that 50% of the people who sit in church on a Sunday morning don't truly know Christ. And these are sobering realities. And scripture talks about these people time and again. Those who do all of the right things or trust in their religious deeds to save them, but never truly surrender to Christ. Who said, I'll give you portions of my life, God, and I'll do everything that I've been told to do as a kid, and I know that's right, that really makes people get off my back about being a Christian or not. I'll go to church, you know, I'll pray at meals, I'll do these different things, but I'm not ready to truly surrender to you. And I think it's easy to do a disservice to people to do an altar call and have them come down front and say, pray this prayer and you're saved. Now the reality is many people have come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior through coming down to an altar call, praying a prayer, and being saved. Yet at the same time, many people have prayed a prayer, signed a card, and then their life looked no different when they left. They lived their life for the world. They lived their life for the things of the world. They lived their life for their flesh. They lived their lives for the things that they wanted, and they gave no care at all for God, no passion for God, no passion for his word or his people. And so if you are not someone who has a passion for Christ, if you signed a card or prayed a prayer when you were five years old, yet your life has looked no different and you had no passion for God whatsoever, and your faith, you come to church every single Sunday because you're supposed to, and you might be involved in other things because you're supposed to, but there's really no desire to please God and no desire to be in intimacy with God. Maybe you're obeying because you're scared of God and scared of hell, but yet you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. 
There's so much more to a relationship with Jesus than just fire insurance. There's so much more to a relationship with Jesus than just escaping the fires of hell. Living our lives based upon his word. Living our lives in his will and ways. You know, I've known people throughout my life. I've actually encountered those who've served as deacons in the church and elders in the church who didn't know Jesus. There's actually those who stand in pulpits around this nation who do not know Jesus. You can tell by their message. Yet I've seen when those deacons or elders or even pastors come to a realization of what surrender is and God transforms their lives. What they were searching for the whole time what they were trying to find in the accolades of people or in a position or in money or in whatever else it was they found in surrender. One of the most beautiful things that we can do in this life is give up. Give up trying to do everything that you can and keeping all of the laws and asking him to take your life and change it. By putting your trust in him. Now following Christ is looking at his word and seeing how our father wants us to live. You know, as a father of, of three kids and one on the way, I know the reason why I tell my kids to do things and the reason why I direct them in their lives is because I love them. I want them to have fun. I want them to enjoy their lives. I just don't want them to go out into the street and get hit by a car. I don't want them to do things that's going to get them arrested later on in life. And I want them to know Jesus. So we raise them and we love them and we give them guidance to how to live. And that's what the word of God is. He says, listen, I made you for myself. You're never going to find true contentment unless you find it in worship and glorifying me. No matter what life stage you're at, no matter what career you have, it doesn't matter. You're never going to find true contentment, rest, peace, and joy until you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. St. Augustine uh, a guy who studied God a long time ago. I highly recommend you studying and reading him. He says this famous quote, and I've said it many times. He says that God has made us for himself, and our hearts will remain restless until they find rest in him. You are not saved by your parents or your grandparents' faith. You are not saved, men, because you have a godly wife who is a prayer warrior. Most likely, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, she's praying for you. You are not saved because you put your tithe in. You are not saved because you're a good person, because the Bible says no one is righteous and no one is truly a good person, and there's only one who is good, and that is God alone. You are not saved because you come through the church doors. You're not saved even because you've seen God move and felt his presence in a worship service. Hebrews chapter 6 is a very sobering text. Hebrews chapter 6, the book of Hebrews, is written to the community of God and it's meant to cause them to remain faithful in Christ. 
Most likely it was written around the time of the destruction of the temple, and it's an encouragement to remain faithful. Now there are many throughout the years, there are some throughout the years who've used this passage to say that it's possible for a Christian to lose their salvation. Yet we continue to see throughout Scripture that if you are sealed with the Holy Spirit, you are in Christ, then you will be with him. That no one can pluck you out of the hand of the Father. We see that all those whom the Father has given Jesus Christ, he will in no way cast out. We see that before the foundations of the world, there were those who were chosen in Christ. That is done. Those who have been chosen by God will come to faith in Jesus Christ. And when that faith happens and surrender happens, that cannot be taken away from you. As we look at this text, it's puzzling though. Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and upholding him to contempt. Now listen to this. We have to look at the terminology that's used within this. When we look at scripture, we see that when we talk about those who are in Christ, it says that they are those who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. They are those who are washed with regeneration. We see all of these different ways to describe those who are in Christ. We do not see that here in this text. We see these people have experienced things. They tasted of the heavenly gift. They've seen healings and things happening within the church. They've seen God do amazing things. They've shared in the Holy Spirit. They've felt his presence. They've seen him there. They've tasted of the goodness of the word of God. They've heard that word preached and the powers of the age to come. Really, it describes a churchgoer who doesn't know Christ. Because if you've heard the word your whole life and yet never surrendered, if you've heard it over and over again, you've seen all these things happen and yet turn away, how hard it is to surrender. And we've seen this happen. We see those who seemingly look like they're followers of Jesus Christ and they do a really good job at playing Christian until the rubber meets the road of life. Suffering comes in or, or they get independence or whatever else and then all of a sudden they're gone. And 1 John 2.19 says this, they went out from us because they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. The question we have to ask today, does Jesus know you? Does Jesus know you? The second lesson we see is that delay tests us in this life, and we need to make provisions for this. I want to pull out really quickly because I think as we look at this preparation, we need to not think of it as doing enough good deeds to pile up in order that when the bridegroom comes, we can say, look at all the deeds we did, let us into the party. No, it's not that. The oil in the lamp is the Spirit of God. The oil in that lamp is the converted heart. The oil in that lamp is the thing which allows us to continue moving in the Christian life and preparing ourselves for Jesus Christ, and that is the Holy Spirit. You cannot fake a converted heart. You cannot fake true repentance where a life is transformed and turns around. You can feel bad for sins because you were taught really well morally growing up, but if you take that and your life changes and you are different, you can't fake that. 
The reality is the difference is the preparation of those as they wait for the bridegroom. The third thing we have to see is preparation can't be borrowed. You can't rely on someone else's faith to save you. You can't rely on the fact that you're born in a certain family and everyone in that family knows Jesus. You can't rely on the fact that you went to church your whole life and your, your grandparents were saved and, and, and they, they prayed over you when you were a kid. That, that's not how it works. You have to come to a surrendering of your life. You have to grasp that word surrender. That's why I use that word over and over and over again. Because it's saying, I am yours. No matter what that causes in my life. No matter what hardships I face, no matter what difficulties I face, no matter what I lose, Scripture talks about counting the cost of discipleship. Jesus says this, this is sobering. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would seek to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Losing our life is giving up our freedom to Christ. We have freedom in Christ to do what he's called us to and live according to the Spirit. Yet we're giving up the perceived reign that we have on our lives and we're putting him on the throne. And we're saying, you are Lord. So like I said at the beginning, this is a message of two different things for two different groups of people. For those who don't know Jesus today, this message is two things. It's a warning and it's a beautiful grace because the door is not shut yet for you. Christ has not yet returned. So today you can give your life to Christ. Today you can realize you're a sinner. You miss the mark of God's holy standard. You can do nothing in your own power to save yourself. And you can give your life to Christ that you can trust in his, his saving sacrifice on the cross to save you. And you can stand before God and say, I do not deserve to enter into your kingdom but I put my faith and trust in the one who has done that for me. That can be you today. If you're a Christian, the question is, are you ready? Because there's another group in this story. The other group are those who went into the feast, the greatest celebration ever the marriage supper of the Lamb of God, celebrating with Jesus, partying with Jesus for all eternity, joyously, with no sin and no sorrow and no death, no pain. Are you ready? Ask yourself that question today. Because as we look to the return of Christ, 
May we stay awake. May we be alert. May we be prepared. May we continually dive deeper into his word and deeper into relationship with him. And maybe the wake up call for some of us today is, are we prioritizing our walk with Christ over everything else in our lives? Maybe today is the day where you say, God, I remember the fervor when I first surrendered my life to you. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. And enter into that joyous celebration with our bridegroom. For Christ will return and will receive us unto himself. And we will be judged based upon what we did with Christ. So please, if you haven't given your life to Christ today, surrender to him. Don't leave this place without grabbing me or someone else and just say, I want to give my life to Jesus. And if you are in Christ, let's get ready. Let's prepare ourselves for he is coming. What a glorious day. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.